January 20th, 2017, will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. We do not seek to impose our way of life on anyone, but rather to let it shine as an example. We will shine for everyone to follow. There should be no fear. We are protected and we will always be protected. We will be protected by the great men and women of our military and law enforcement. And most importantly, we will be protected by God. We stand at the birth of a little millennium, ready to unlock the mysteries of space, to free the earth from the miseries of disease, and to harness the energies, industries, and technologies of tomorrow. A new national pride will stir ourselves, lift our sights, and heal our divisions. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. Together, we will make America strong again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And yes, together, we will make America great again. Thank you, God bless you, and God bless America. Let's go see the This is Christopher Hart of the American Adversaries Second Helping Podcast, where we offer you a sample of our American Adversaries radio show, which you can hear live Sunday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the station's website, theanswerorlando.com, on our website, either live or from the archive, americanadversaries.com, and the same with our Rumble channel, American Adversaries. We open the week on Sunday night with Kathy Santomasino, Lair Adams, Pierce Outlaw, and me talking about the criticism President Trump was enduring for stating the obvious. Hezbollah is run by smart people. All right, so we got Lair Adams and Kathy Santamassino just joined us. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. I'm here. And Lair's got his closing remarks, and Kathy's got her odd stories. Got Pierce Outlaw and myself, Christopher Hart. We four are in the Relax and Comfort studio. Jeff Sennis is on the bridge. We are live. It is Sunday evening, 407-774-8255 is the number. Uh, we'll get to uh, what's going on in Iran and some of the hoopla about it, uh, politically speaking. And, uh, and then at the top of the next hour, we're going to have to inform you about a, a new variant 
of ED is out there. And uh, this is something both men and women need to know about. Erectile No, 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 no. We don't, okay. don't give it away. I, I don't just... give it away. All right. Oh, boy. Right. So we will have to. Yeah, got to watch gonna, out for something else. We're going we're gonna to go there. So anyway, <laughs> that will be in the, the top of the next hour of the show. And it will. Uh, we will be within the the FCC regulations and Salem standards. Mm. So uh, do not worry. But this is something that so it, we won't that, get soft on it's, that. It's, it's some things <laughs> that we have to talk about. All right. So in the meantime. Uh, who is smarter? You remember that show? Who's smarter than the fifth grader? Yes, oh I yeah, it's a show. great show. And, and seldom all was of it. them were smarter than me. <laughs> I know. Jeff Foxworthy was great on yep. that show. That yeah. was the best three years of my life, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was. It was a cute show, and the fifth graders almost always won. I mean, it was. Uh, I it, beat the third graders. <laughs> I will say this, but fifth was tough. So, Trump is uh, getting some blowback uh, from all of the, the, the lesser runs, the lesser runs, uh, runners, that uh, because he has said that Hezbollah was smart. Um, now, Trump doesn't use a lot of euphemisms when he describes people. He's pretty blunt. And so, you know, there's, you know, DeSantis jumped on this or DeSantis jumped on this. Uh, some other conservatives jumped on it. I think Nikki Haley jumped on it. Uh, the, the, the liberal media's, oh, how could, you know, you had uh, Kristen Welker ask uh, Lindsey Graham this morning, does that disqualify him? I mean, after all oh, give me a break. the other yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, is this going to disqualify Trump because he said Hezbollah is oh, smart? Well, let me tell you something. Hezbollah's younger brother, as they're known, Hamas, was smart enough to outsmart the intelligence agencies. So here's the headline. Of Israel and the United States. Here's the headline of today's local rag. Now, you folks watching in Atlanta, you got the urinal and constipation up there. We got the Orlando <laughs> slantinal down here, right? Here's the, the headline right here. Hamas knew how to strike Israel. Does that sound like dumb people? No. No, it doesn't. And and then let me just read from and the first part of the article is it describes how, let me just say, I'll just read the very first bit here. It says, less than a month before Hamas terrorists blew through Israel's high-tech iron wall and launched an attack that would leave more than 1,200, now it's 1,300, Israelis dead, they practiced in a very public dress rehearsal. They had actually built... <laughs> Right there across the border, within sight of some of the towers, a, a mock-up of an Israeli kibbutz, of an Israeli village. And they were practicing on how they were going to go in there and kill people. And it was within, you could see through binoculars, you could see what they were doing, right? So there was right they out, have video of this. Right out there, right. It's right out in plain sight. Now, here a little bit later on in the article, same article, Okay, it uh, talks a little bit about how they actually did what they had practiced to do. And then then here is the uh, this paragraph here. It says 
Hamas planning documents, videos, which you just mentioned, Lair, of the assault and interviews with security officials show that the terrorists had a sophisticated understanding of how the Israeli military operated, where it stationed units, and even the time it would take for reinforcements to arrive. That does not sound like stupid people to me. You see, here's the problem with our leaders. They are the stupid ones. Mm -hmm. They are the dumb ones. Trump is right. Hezbollah, they are very clever. They are cunning. And they are ruthless. And if you do not think that they are smart, then you are going to end up at the end of their knife. Chris, telling people your opponent is smart is not a compliment. (laughs) It's a warning. Well, Chris... It's and, a and, warning. And it's blunt reality. Yes. And interestingly enough, they started this plan in 2019. Isn't that coincidental? Trump was running for presidency in 2020, and they were planning no, Actually, it. they started planning in earnest in 2021 when after he was Joe out Biden. Of office. Right. I mean, right. that's no, what I was saying. On, they were on ice while mm-hmm. Trump was president. That's right. In 2019, basically, they were bankrupt bankrupt mm-hmm. because the Iranians were bankrupt. Right. You see? And 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 this this is where, you know, the Trump was smart. And he's smart to say that these people are smart because that is correct. And it is also not just a warning to them, but it's a warning to our people. We're not messing around with idiots here. And you can't take them for that. That's right. If if you do, we're going to be the idiots. And Chris, if Trump was in the White House, he duly deserved to be there. We wouldn't have had this attack. We wouldn't have had Ukraine. We wouldn't have had the attack well, on well, Israel. Saying that, saying, we wouldn't have had any of these wars. Saying that you, you, you've just uh, alerted to the danger of these different people around the world, different uh, organizations, if they're going to do something, they've got to do something on Biden's watch. Yeah. I mean, really, all, all this is so heightened because if it does look like Trump is going to become the president, they've got to do something. And Trump can't do anything if he's not president that's, or ha- hasn't won that's yet. That's what I'm that, saying. That's right. And, and I do believe that they have moved up their timetables or they are, oh, very, they are very keenly aware of what you are saying. Right. And they're also keenly aware that if Joe Biden wants to get reelected, he's going to have to act a lot tougher than he has had acted so far. You were going to say something. Well, that the, our, our intel agencies and also the Israelis knew that Hezbollah and Hamas representatives met with the Iranians and also the Qataris in Doha going back at least a year and a half ago All right. to me, plan this yeah. and finance it. Let me just read a little bit more, because once again, these people are cunning. They're clever. They're ruthless. Mm -hmm. And he says, uh, this is another, it says, uh, talking about a former U.S. Army officer uh, who's the senior director of the Center of Military and Political Power at the Foundation of some think tank in Washington, D.C. He said that there are indications that Hamas intentionally led Israeli officials to believe it was preparing to carry out raids in the West Bank rather than Gaza. Not only were they clever enough to figure out how to do all this, they were clever enough to figure out how to, you know, outsmart, out-trick the the, the, uh, Israelis and the United States. Well, and and to your point, Chris, when you mentioned last week about how Democrats always have two plans, one if they win, one if they lose, it's the same thing for this organization. Yeah, Yeah, they're all set. Okay, we know that uh, Israel's going to kick our butt. 
but we're going to use everything. We're going to turn everything around that, that you can imagine every dime that the rest of the world wants to give us because we are hurting so bad. Right. We're going to use it to just go right back to doing the same thing. Right. So Trump, you know, now that he also made some remarks, I guess, the other day uh, about Benjamin Netanyahu. He said he, he let us down. He let us down. He was talking about uh, both in himself because uh, Netanyahu accepted the results of the election. But there's a lot of people in Israel who are very angry at Netanyahu for this lapse in security, this lapse in intelligence that, that, that Hamas was able to outsmart them. On Monday, Rick Brown and I were joined by our co-host from Jerusalem, Abe Katzman, as he explained the recovery and burial of his nephew, Hayam's body. All righty, welcome once again to the American Adversaries Radio Show. This hour brought to us by Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, PJTN.org. And of course, that music does mean that it is time to go to our man, Abe Katzman, Abe, so you uh, you had to duck, I guess, this afternoon, huh? Tell us about this close call you had. Well, um, the you know the air raid sirens started going off. Um, it actually we had heard in Jerusalem there had been nothing for the previous two days. I mean, the rest of the country was getting it, but there's they're cautious about. Uh, shooting at Jerusalem because of the Arab neighborhoods and that they might accidentally hit the Al-Aqsa Mosque or something like that. Right. Um, but today, uh, they fired. So the alarm went, the, the, you know, the air raid siren went off, and I uh, started kind of relaxed uh, walk down the stairs to the, to the shelter in the building here. And as I was uh, getting close to the shelter, there was an explosion. Uh, This was loud. This was, it wasn't like, you know, the thud you usually hear. This was just this boom that sounded like it was, you know, maybe half a mile away. Mm. Um, And uh, apparently this was their... Um, this was their greeting because the Knesset session, the winter session, um, began today. <laughs> so I guess that was their, uh, yeah, you know, little, like 21 gun salute. Little fireworks uh, start the uh, start the day. <laughs> yeah. uh, was what, 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 I, I take it that it was it was taken out? It was a, a missile or a rocket taken out yeah. by the Iron Dome. I, I take it there was there exactly. didn't exactly. Okay, all right, right. Wow. Wow. Uh, well, and, and, uh, people saw it. My my one of my young nephews saw it. Um, I, I heard from a couple of people. So apparently it was, you know, wasn't very far away. Uh, wow. uh, speaking of nephews, um, I, I saw where you posted that uh, they did find Hyam's body and return it. Right. Uh, can you just sort of fill us, fill us in? Yeah, they uh, so they they did find his body, and then it took a couple of days. They couldn't they, they couldn't clear the bodies out until they were sure that there were no more terrorists lurking around there, um, and that they the terrorists had not booby trapped some of the bodies, which I believe they actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, but these you know were uh, managed to to disarm the booby traps before anything happened. Anyway. Um, 
we had a uh, had a funeral Thursday night. They released the body. Um, there, you know, the, we have a seven day mourning period. Um, at the same time, I actually went to uh, the mourning house of the family of the mother of the kids who were saved by the woman who was saved by Chaim. Right. Which I'm, nice. I think you keep that all straight. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah we got it. Anyway, yeah. that was <laughs> okay. So uh, that was, you know, I, I walked in there and um, I told them who I was and they, they treated me like royalty. I guess they would. Um, was, yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a real, there's there's a bond for all these things. But, I'll, you know, one of the things that's, if I can just add perspective here. Um, so we've got, what, 13, 1,400 people killed? I, I've, I haven't even kept track. Over 13, and approaching 14, yeah. Approaching 14. So um, relatively speaking, we're kind of lucky. We we have a body. We were able to have a funeral. He wasn't tortured. He wasn't mutilated. Um, and we know how he died, and we know that uh, there's a, a, you know, sort of a silver lining to the to this awful story. And compared to everyone else, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, we're the, the suffering level is a lot worse in other in other families, the families of captives, of hostages, uh, families where they can't haven't been able to identify the bodies yet. Some of them because they're too badly burned. Um, it's just uh, you know we're still reeling from this, no question, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, well, so, Abe, what in? Uh, well, what? Hold up for the. We, we we got we're up against the break. Oh, okay. When we come back, uh, we'll continue the conversation with Abe Katzman. Mm-hmm. You can follow him. His website is abekatzman.com. He's also on Facebook and LinkedIn, and you spell Katzman, of course, with an S. And his uh, nephew Hyam Katzman, uh, please say some prayers for him and all mm-hmm. of the other victims alive and, of course, dead. We'll be right back with the American Adversaries. This hour of the show brought to us by Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. You can be a part of the solution, ladies and gentlemen. Go to pjtn.org and become a watchman. It's easy to do, and you'll be a part of the solution. We'll be right back. On the line with us from Jerusalem is Abe Katzman. Abe, we were talking a little bit about Haim there right before the break, your nephew. And I don't know if you knew this or not. I, I did not see it, but a couple people contacted me and told me that in last week's, I believe it was Wednesday's White House press conference, his name came up. And uh, and, and really? ev- evidently, he, uh, I guess he has a cousin, uh, a, a, a female cousin uh, who is uh, a peace activist or, or something to that effect. Is, is, uh, the, the last, that was all I was able to glean, but it evidently happened uh, okay. in the White House press conference. And then I saw where you uh, posted up uh, a little message that the IDF was going to send uh, into Gaza on his behalf. Would you like? Yeah, to- the uh, there were a bunch of bombs ready to be loaded onto planes, and uh, there were messages written on the tails, um, including one said uh, one that said in in um, in memory of Chaim Katzman, uh, hero and. I forget exactly what else he said, but anyway, they uh, there were a number of names of, of victims who were uh, who were that were yeah. painted onto the tails of the bombs. So, yeah, and that's a practice um, that started a long time ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, he. Um, yeah, I was going to say he. 
you know, this story probably because it turns, you know, we it, we had some detail in this story. Plus, he was one of the Americans and one of the first people I think identified. So, got a lot of press. Got a lot of. Uh, I did a bunch of interviews. I was on Fox Business talking about him last week. Oh. Um, uh, Seattle television stations, and it's uh, it's it's interesting. And then there were all these articles all over the place that they it kind of snowballed. And it got to the point, you know, it's interesting because you know that the people who write each article read the previous articles. So certain things keep on getting built up. Uh, the New York Post in their headline referred to him as a renowned scholar, which is very nice. But, you know, he's still young and new. Right. <laughs> I <have> renowned. <laughs> okay. Well, well, we'll take it. It's a nice uh, yeah. kind of – it's sort of like when they when they give um, – when someone dies in uh, the military in service, they'll give them a, a promotion. So that's kind of what this is. All right. Well, certainly – They raised his rank. But certainly he did save three lives. And uh, he is a hero. And, and that certainly deserves that recognition. So Rick had a question. Abe, I was going to ask, when the uh, the rocket hit in Jerusalem this morning, where where did it hit? Was there any damage to anything? No. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Abe. Yeah. No, it's okay. I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there was. I, I didn't. There was nothing badly damaged in terms of any of the, the shrapnel, any of the pieces of the rocket or anything. So it didn't hit that, a neighborhood uh, or anything? That fell. So I didn't, uh, I would have heard, had it caused damage, I would have known about it. It would have been on the news. But uh, if they're ignoring it, chances are it didn't do very much. All right. Um, but I don't know where it was where it was heading. Maybe right. it may very well have been heading right for Knesset. Well, just in generally, general generally speaking, what uh, can you just give us the overall state of the situation right now? Because we know there's skirmishes with uh, you know the, the Lebanese border. Of course, you got the border there with Syria. You got the long border with Jordan, and then of course Gaza itself. So, kind of give right. us sort of an overview, if you would, please. Okay. Well, um, the let's see first. The they have not yet begun the ground invasion of Gaza. They were talking about it. They've been trying to you know, clear the way. The air force has apparently done a, a you know pretty efficient job softening things up for the ground troops to be able to go in, and they've taken out a lot of uh, apparently even some very high level Hamas people. Um, and the question, though, everybody was expecting the ground invasion to be Friday or Saturday, and it still hasn't happened. At first they said, well, it was cloudy. It was going to rain, and they wanted better visibility for the uh, for air support. Okay, well, that was for one day. Um, but there's the possibility that the timing on this is, you know, there's a psychological warfare element. And it also may be to keep Hezbollah off balance at the Lebanese border. Mm -hmm. It may very well be that they are waiting for Israel to begin a ground uh, invasion in Gaza and commit lots of resources to it um, before they let loose. So, yeah, there have been little skirmishes. They've actually killed a couple of people in uh, fire, you know, firing uh, anti-tank missiles at uh, at a couple of targets, 
And I even saw there was at least some notice that there might have been an incursion um, into one of the, the northern, it's actually the northernmost town in Israel. Um, but the, at the same time, Israel has been, um, they're in the process of evacuating. Um, there are 28 towns and villages that are within two kilometers of the Lebanese border, and they're going to be evacuating those, housing people wherever. I mean, there's uh, um, <laughs> some of it will be uh, in in guest houses and things like that, but I think a lot of it is going to be individual Israeli citizens volunteering to put people up, wow. and they will. Yep, that's how it how it's done here. Now, there are other things going on. The, there's the political angle, the international angle. So um, if you're last week, we were talking about how the, let's say, the EU, for example, has been surprisingly strong, in, at least in the things they've said. Um, yeah, they initially cut off all, uh, all aid, um, or at least they were going to reassess it. And anyway, they... Um, but they backpedaled two days later, so hey, hey, they didn't end up doing anything. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 we've got the, the the news on in the studio, and across the the bottom of the screen where they scroll their, their headlines and their, their messages, we saw something a little earlier that said that U.S. troops are ready for deployment. Is there any? What's the conversation over there about U.S. interaction, involvement, or the inevitability of such? Um, look, I. I don't know what to what to make of that. Um, they've got every right to. I mean, they've got every right to anyway. Mm-hmm. But considering that uh, that that uh, Hamas killed thirty U.S. citizens and is holding another fourteen or fifteen hostage, um, if yeah, you know, be my guest. Um, I don't know if they'll do it, and I'm not sure Israel wants them to. Right. Because the it, the optics for Israel has never had anyone else fight for its defense. They've gotten plenty of plenty of aid, plenty of weapons, but in terms of people risking their lives, Israel does it on its own. Yeah. And I think they don't want that. This is they, that's a uh, you know don't mess with that precedent. Right. I think that's, that's right. the idea. Well, what what what. What worries me is you have a president over here who's wanting to look like he's the tough guy, right? And so he he goes on 60 Minutes last night when Scott Pelley asked him, uh, you know, uh, what would you tell Hezbollah or Iran if they want to escalate this thing? He would just, don't, 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 don't. Do you think that that scares Hezbollah or Iran or makes them rethink their calculations when Joe Biden says, don't, don't, don't? Well, I don't know. Is that what Joe Biden said to... Corn Pop? Was that the name of the guy? <laughs> that, was, that was him, all right. Corn Pop, all right. But he was a bad Corn dude. Pop. Yeah, and he was a bad dude. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> he was a bad dude. Well, well let's, let's because Blinken's been over there. He was over there last week. Then yeah. he made the tour of the other Gulf states that, uh, that we talked to. And he's now he's back. Mm-hmm. And Biden's talking about he might want to go over there here in a couple of days. Right. So yep. wh- wh- how, wh- how is that affecting what Israel is trying to do here? Well, it's certainly a, you know, it's a, it's a good sign of support um, if, if the president makes a, you know, make, makes a visit here. 
Um, I'm sure that uh, the Hamas rocket engineers are uh, thinking about the interesting opportunity that might present. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's there are people here um, who, if you listen closely to the things that particularly Biden and Blinken are saying, um, they're afraid that the administration is going to interfere with allowing Israel to actually win, to win outright, to accomplish what they want to do. Um, And exactly why? I'm not sure. One interesting thing here, I've got to say it's it's a surprise, a very pleasant surprise, is um, uh, Defense Secretary Austin has uh, come out as I don't know, maybe the best friend Israel has in the administration in terms of the way he's been talking. Um, I mean, he no, there's there's a moral clarity from him uh, in Turkey, because he's also, he was in charge of, I think he was running CENTCOM when they were taking on ISIS. And he said, this is worse. He said, I know ISIS, yeah. this is worse. Yeah, yeah he's, and he's right. Um, yeah. Meanwhile... Iran is warning Israel, and I guess us by you know proxy, proxy right? That uh, uh, they will suffer. You will suffer an earthquake uh, if you take the fight to Hezbollah. Uh, I, I take right. it. I, I, I take it that that does does that conjure images of a nuclear device they may already have. Well, I don't think so. Uh, but they, you know, they'll they can say that sort of thing that uh, there will be an earthquake if the if the war spreads. There will be an earthquake if Israel doesn't uh, stop its attack of Gaza. Um, what's sort of ironic here um, is that he made that statement three days ago. Two days ago, Iran was hit with a with an earthquake, five point nine on the Richter scale, uh, <laughs> killed three, wounded a, a maybe a hundred. It wasn't the worst earthquake they've ever had, but uh, uh, you know, chalk put that in the uh, God sense of humor uh, uh, column. No doubt, know? no doubt. And of course, they do sit on several faults there, if I'm not mistaken. That is sort of yeah, earthquake prone area. Some- Devastating, right. devastating earthquake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll just go ahead and take the break at this point, Abe. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Of course, we're speaking with Abe Katzman, ladies and gentlemen. And you can find his articles, his work at abekatzman.com. He's also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Katzman, spelled with an S. We'll be right back with the American Adversaries. This hour being brought to us by Claiming Justifications. Find them at pjtn.org. AM 950 and FM 94.9. The answer. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do you suffer with low energy, difficulty sleeping, digestive issues, frequent illnesses, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, Heist Health Clinic is for you. Hi, this is Renee Humphreys. At Heist Health Clinic, we use holistic methods to balance your body so it can help heal itself. Call Heist Health Clinic at 407-677-1660 or go online to drheist.com so we can help you experience outrageous health. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you're like me, you're probably spending more time in your vehicles, so it's more important than ever that we can rely on them. That's why if you have a Mercedes-Benz, you need to know Jerry and Janice Shepard because you can rely on Jerry's MB to keep your Mercedes in tip-top shape without leaving your budget out of shape with their state-of-the-art facilities, factory-trained techs, decades of experience, and reasonable prices. Jerry's MB is your dealership alternative. Jerry's MB is located just off Alafaya Trail, just north of UCF. Give them a call at 407-366-6499 or visit them at jerryzmb.com. Remember, they're your dealership alternative. jerryzmb.com, 407-366-6499. Folks, did you know Relax and Comfort is the only store in Florida where you can experience both the number one rated number bed and the JD Power number one rated mattress in America and compare them side by side? And now for a limited time, Relax and Comfort has a very special offer for American adversaries listeners only. Get a free X2 model X chair, just like the one I use every day, with a qualifying purchase of any new luxury massage chair or smart sleep system. Call Don, Jackie, or Gio at 407-628-5657 or visit Relax and Comfort at the Winter Park Village, just across from the Regal Cinemas. You can rely on Relax and Comfort for all your back care and sleep needs to sit, sleep, and feel better every day. Relax and Comfort is locally and family owned and operated since 1967. So call today at 407-628-5657 or visit relaxandcomfort.com. Friends, Lair Adams of the American Adversaries here to remind you to call Cafe Positano's right now and ask about today's chef specials. You know they make the best pizza, strombolis, and calzones, but call ahead the menu changes. Maybe tonight they'll have chicken with mustardello sauce, salmon in a mango citrus glaze, flounder with mushrooms and spinach in a wine reduction, or parmesan-crusted T-bone steak. Got you drooling yet? Google it now and dine in, pick up, or have delivered Central Florida's most authentic Italian food, Cafe Positano's. Hi, I'm John Sieber, President of Patriot Home Funding, Central Florida's best mortgage broker. And we are making mortgages great again by offering the lowest rates and best service, all while not charging any lender junk fees or points on most of our products. And if you are a veteran, we will pay for your appraisal as a way of saying thanks for your service. Take the Patriot Home Funding Challenge. We'll give you five-star luxury service and save you money. Give us a call at 407-389-5132. That's 407-389-5132. 132 or visit us at myphf.com. At Patriot Home Funding, we finance the American dream. Patriot Home Funding is a licensed mortgage broker business in the state of Florida at MLS 171699 and is an equal housing lender. John Siebert is a licensed mortgage originator in the state of Florida at MLS 305711. We all know we can't avoid death and taxes. Here in Florida, we also can't avoid mold, mildew, and grime building up on our homes, businesses, carports, and sidewalks. When it's time for you to tackle that dirt and grime, call Deer Brothers Exterior Cleaning, D-E-E-R-E. They do it all from soft washing roofs to high-powered washing for those really tough jobs. No job too big or small. So when it comes time for you to deal with the mold, mildew, and grime, call Deer Brothers Exterior Cleaning at 407-978-8834. Leave the dirty work to them. 407-978-8834. We're back with Abe Katzman joining us live from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us as well. Abe, uh, Rick has one more question about the military operations. Abe, I was watching the news this morning, and I saw the spokesman for the IDF 
and he said something that caught me by surprise, and he mentioned, he said, in the inevitability that we have to go into Gaza, was his words. And to me, that was like contradictory to everything else that we've been hearing. Is is there an alternative plan other than going into Gaza and doing what Netanyahu has said we're going to do for the past four days, five days? I have no idea. Um, I can say this. Usually, the IDF, what comes out of the IDF spokesman's office, they are very careful that it can be, they, they don't use it, or they at least try not to use it to play games or, or to fake anyone out. Um, if you remember a couple of years ago, there was a whole to-do because Israel kind of faked like they were going to do a ground invasion of Gaza in order to get all the Hamas people to go into the tunnels, and they knew where the tunnels were, and then Israel bombed the tunnels. Right. But it didn't work as well, and part of it involved a statement from the uh, the IDF spokesman's office, and uh, international press was not happy with the statement that misrepresented, or so they said, that Israel was actually sending in ground troops when they hadn't. Um, the guy who said it, I think he's back, but he was removed from his position for wow. a while. So there's there, if he says it, it's you can believe it. Other people might say things, but the spokesman's office doesn't mess around. They, it's very important for them to know that for everyone to know that they can rely on. Right. If right. he says it, I I don't know. If that's what it implies. That's what it implies. Yeah. They, it may be. Look, they may still be trying to figure out exactly what it is they want to do. It hasn't been that long, and I'm sure there's still a debate. What do we do? What have? What are the contingency plans if we're this? successful, if we're that successful, what do we actually want to happen at the end of the day in Gaza? Who's going to run things? Uh, who's going to be living there? I, you know, there are a lot of things there uh, uh, they've got to deal with, and they're, they're big questions. All right. So. Speaking of uh, using words and maybe throwing them around a bit, uh, Donald Trump has been taking some criticism for saying that Hezbollah is smart. And then over the weekend, here in the local paper, they basically talked about how smart Hamas was in pulling off this operation. I mean, is is it a dumb thing to 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 think that enemies like this are dumb? I mean, are are, are you somehow no, giving I, in I, to I, them by by pointing out that, like, kind of the obvious? I mean. Hamas, if they, it seems to me they outsmarted the intelligence agencies of of Israel and the United States. Everyone, I, right. right? I mean, right. if you're going to say that they're morons, what does that say for the intelligence agencies? For heaven's sake, Abe. I mean, you understand uh, where I'm coming from here? Yeah. Go ahead. I know exactly. And besides, calling them smart is not the same thing as calling them moral. Exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. you can say they're evil geniuses if Evil you want. and smart. Right. Uh, doesn't, you know? Yeah. But then he also, though, started laying into Prime Minister Netanyahu and suggested that he wasn't loyal enough to him because he had made still he's still stuck on that phone call that Netanyahu yeah. made to congratulate Biden. Yeah. And that does not that kind of stuff doesn't go over well. He also I think called the defense minister here uh said he was a jerk. What what are you what is this? You know, yeah. there this is uh it's not I know it's him 
and it's the way he talks, and it's just, you know, the, the bad comes with the good. But, he you know, he's not scoring points when he does that kind of stuff. All right. Um, meanwhile, uh, Ron DeSantis has been making a big deal about trying to evacuate Americans out of Israel. We also have a local congressman here, Corey Mills, uh, by the way, he's a regular yeah. on our uh, Tuesday show, uh, getting people out. And, but they, they're indicating that it's difficult to get Americans out of Israel. Is that the case? And why? Um, I'm not. Well, it depends exactly what he's trying to set up. All the European airlines, basically every foreign airline stopped flying here. So what they're doing is they're trying to get people, they're like flying people, let's say, to Athens. And from Athens, they'll get them to get them to the U.S. Or people are trying, actually, one of the, the more common escape routes, if you want to call it that, um, is, uh, is to go through the Emirates to go through Dubai. And, uh, apparently, um, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that uh, that's, the, that's the secure way to get in and out of Israel. Do, do planes um, have to fly over Saudi Arabia to do that, or do they go around? Yeah, no, they, the Saudis have been, for a while, have been allowing... Uh, have been allowing... Overflights. To, yeah. Uh, to over, yeah, overfly. Okay. Well, I don't know. He's, by the way, I saw he's even, he even went one better than everyone else. He's offering uh, free flights. I saw the, I saw right. the, uh, a post from him. So, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he's done his work. Um, yeah. but I don't know if they're, if they're flights directly from Tel Aviv, if they're special L all charters, I don't, I, I don't know how it's working. I was thinking, Hmm, maybe I should go back to America for a bit. If I got a free flight. Well, I'm not really who it's aimed at, but flying anyway, you know. The weather is turning nicer here in Florida, if you want to yeah. come so, so you can get you here anyway. Um, uh, in the meantime, Jack Lew has been nominated to be the new ambassador to Israel from the United States. His confirmation hearing is Wednesday in the Senate, or the latest one. And the question is, is he going to be a good ambassador? Because evidently he is part of the Robert Malley crowd. Of course, Malley is basically a spy for Iran, who was the envoy over there, and uh, brought a couple of spies back with him, I guess. We have one currently still working in the Pentagon over here, Abe. Is that is got getting much attention over there? And what about Jack Lew? Yeah, well, Jack Lew also is interesting from Israel's perspective because he is an he's you know he's Jewish and he's observant. He you know he he's uh, strictly kosher. And now I I never know with some of these people. There are politicians that will are are more than happy sometimes to use their religion as their brand if it will help them advance. I'm not suggesting he is one of those people, but you never know. Um, he is facing a lot of opposition from Israel's strongest supporters in the Knesset. Um, Tom Cotton came out and called him an Iran sympathizer and uh, said that he had helped them evade uh, uh, evade sanctions. Um, Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, Ted Cruz. Um, you know, there are some heavyweights here who are coming out swinging against him. 
Uh, the Democrats are basically saying, well, it's so important. We, we have to rush this through at a time like this. It's so important. Uh, I don't know how important it really is. Just because they say it's important doesn't mean all that much. The, the, the person who's, in the, who's acting in the, uh, the ambassador's role, the, the deputy chief of mission, somebody named Stephanie Hallett, who yeah. I've met, who's very good, I think. Um, hmm. She also, I saw her, she was having a hard time controlling herself in uh, seeing footage and talking about what was going on in, in uh, outside of Gaza last week. And good. I'm glad. She's human. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaks well of her. Yeah, indeed it does. Yeah. Uh, 30 seconds. Jim Jordan, would he be a good speaker in terms of Israel? Sure. Okay. That only took three. It did. It, it did indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, keep your head down. I'd be happy with McCarthy. I'd be happy with Scalise. I'd be happy with Jordan. With Jordan. i just just get a speaker. All yes. Right. They're all solid. All right. right. Sounds good. Keep your head down over there, Abe, and take care. And uh, we're praying hard for you and Israel and to see this thing through. It's so appreciated. All Thank right. you very much. All right. Very, very good. All right. Abe Katzman, once again, his website, abekatzman.com, LinkedIn, Facebook, Katzman spelled with an S. This hour of the show has been brought to us by Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. When we come back, I'll tell you a little bit more about their Taking Back America's Children Florida Summit. You're listening to the American Adversaries, and we'll be back. On Patriot Home Funding Friday, Pierce Outlaw and I were joined by R.C. Williams from We Are the Watchmen as he describes the U.S. government's efforts to undermine our currency and banking system and what efforts are underway to counter those efforts. And on with us now is the publisher of We Are the Watchmen Weekly, which you can find at wearethewatchmen.org. R.C. Williams, how you doing, R.C.? Hey, Chris, how are you, brother? It's good to be on with you again. Yeah, excellent. Hey, I uh, saw you at uh, you know, the pastor's brunch yesterday. What did you think about, because I know you go to Liberty Church, and there was the founder of Liberty Church, Paul Blair, on stage. What a, what a great presentation sermon he gave. Yeah, you know, Paul and his wife, Cindy, are very good friends uh, of Juliana and I, and we, we attend Liberty Church in Orlando. I will say that having seen Paul give that presentation a number of times, it never gets old, Chris. And I think that the people were there yesterday really got a sense about the biblical responsibilities and the biblical principles of government. So just quickly, the four levels of government that we should all keep in mind as believers are self-government, so how you govern yourself as a person, morals and things like that, Uh, family government, husband and wife in the home, raising kids, church government, and then civil government. But the way the world has gone today, they've cut out the first three, and now, of course, you're relying on big government. And Paul is in a battle with many of us to try to turn that ship around. But it was a blessing to have him with us yesterday. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, while we're at it, real quick, Liberty Church has got a fall festival, a fall family festival, coming up a week from Sunday. That's October the 29th. It'll be where they hold their services. It's 455 Maitland Avenue in Altamont Springs, 455 Maitland Avenue. This is going to be fun for the whole family, you know, bounce house, uh, you know, 
cotton candy and uh, ice cream cones and all that sort of thing. So uh, plan on doing that October the 29th for the full whole family, uh, 4 to 6 p.m., 4 to 6 p.m. All right, well, uh, we'll get back to that a little bit later, but let's talk now about what's going on with our banking system. Yeah, Chris, you know, uh, over the the balance of this year, we've been on a number of times talking about the bad news economically and what's going on with the banking system. Uh, obviously, we let our American adversaries family know very early on what was happening with the banking crisis in Silicon Valley Bank and ultimately where this was going to lead. So that leads some people to believe that when RC and or Juliana are on the air, it's always bad news. But I have to tell you, Chris, that with as much bad as is going on right now, there is actually some really good news. So Juliana and I were in Tallahassee earlier this week. A gentleman named Kevin Freeman, who's based out of Dallas, Texas, uh, he helped to build Franklin Templeton Investments from hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Uh, He's consulted for the government. He was one of the first people to triangulate that Russia and then China wanted to destabilize the United States economically, uh, he has now committed his life to uncovering solutions to our economic problems. He hosts a show on the Blaze Network uh, called The Economic War Room. So Kevin came up with the idea of sound money, and it's not in the sense that everybody generally thinks of. What Kevin figured out is that as crazy as the federal government is right now, the states are still the ultimate backstop. So I want people to jot this down and keep this in mind. Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution actually gives every state the right to make gold and silver legal tender in payment of debts. Most people don't know this, that states can actually mint their own money, create their own depository, and it can be used. So Kevin figured this out. And then he figured out a really important component that would deal with any tax implications, dealing with capital gains, and things like that. What he figured out is that you could use technology and basically create gold and silver as a digital-backed asset currency that can be used with a debit card. So if Chris has his debit card and he's got $5,000 in gold and he wants to go buy a tank of gas, when he makes that transaction – the, the vendor is going to get the money in cash. Chris is going to be able to use gold for that transaction, and nobody's going to know the difference. The transaction is still going to happen naturally. So Kevin figured this out, and he actually spoke to legislators Tuesday night and did an amazing presentation. I encourage people to go to our sister site, uh, Sherlock Exposes, because we, we posted a video of that uh, yesterday. So what Juliana and I ended up doing all day Wednesday is actually going from office to office uh, with legislators in Tallahassee and telling them this incredible story. Here is the good news, Chris, and then I want to get to your questions. Here's the really good news. There is something afoot in the Florida legislature around the Sound Money Act that's actually going to allow Florida to be a leader in making gold and silver normal transactional currency and an option to fiat currency. Fiat currency being when we carry around paper money and, uh, you know, change, loose change, nickels, dimes, and quarters, and even pennies still. Um, The worthless stuff. Right, right. So you say this was already being done before you got up there or as a result of you going up there? 
Uh, this was actually scheduled to be done, and we went up to support that effort. And just by chance, we ended up going around the next day uh, and, and spending time with legislators and, and, and telling this story. Uh, I have to tell you, Chris, it was amazing uh, to see the legislators kind of get their head around the fact that this could be done and that Florida could actually take its rightful place as a leader in the nation to say, you know what, the federal government is out of control and we're going to give our citizens an option to do things in a sound way and to protect their assets. So here's the other thing, by the way, Chris, and Kevin Freeman gave this example during his presentation. He put $500 in gold on his his card, right? And so he went and he spent 300 of it, but then he had 250 left on the card. So people, if if you're doing the math in your head, you say, wait a minute, that's not possible. It would be 200. No, it's actually possible because his gold actually appreciated. So (laughs) this is the magic of making gold and silver transactional. You get all the upside and none of the downside. Well, what happens if the price of gold goes down? That is something that has to be factored in, and it's entirely possible, but it's not unlike anything else, right, Chris? Because fiat money, dollars, do that all the time. And if you go back a couple of years, they've lost the majority of their value. Uh, Okay, real quick, and then Pierce has some questions, too. Did you say that this is already a piece of legislation with sponsors or just an idea at this point? So this, this is actually in the draft process right now. Um, Doug Bankston is actually kind of spearheading this. Doug represents District 39 in the state of Florida. He is a a strong Christian, uh, a pastor, and a believer in doing the right thing. Uh, And he has been hard at work on this. Uh, It it does have sponsors in both the House and and the Senate. And so now there is a move to keep this moving through the process so that we can get to a place where sound money is really kind of the spearhead for the state of Florida. Yeah, uh, as far as the question on how the investment can increase even though you decreased it, gold is a massive hedge against inflation worldwide. Right now, the price of gold is licking right at $2,000 an ounce as the inflation increases. So, yes, it is possible to spend part of that portfolio, but the remaining portfolio would increase in value. Conversely, when gold would drop is when your other assets would be increasing in value, say that your mutual funds, uh, qualified retirement accounts, real estate, those types of investments would be increasing in value, and and your normal money would reflect that. So you can actually, if if you play this right, you can play both sides of the fence. Pierce, such a great point. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. I think that what you mentioned there about your other assets is really important. The great news about this is it's not an either-or. This option would run parallel with other options. It is optional and not mandatory. And, and one of the things that we've shared, guys, is that – because this question came up while we were up there – well, what does this do to the dollar? And the response was, well, our hope would be that if Florida and, say, Texas, who's going to address this in special session next month, and Utah and Oklahoma – and other states, Wyoming, who have seriously looked at this and are trying to move it through their legislatures, all do the right thing, maybe the federal government will get the hint that they're a bit out of control and try to rein in their spending and get us somewhere 
maybe, possibly, hopefully, in the vicinity of a balanced budget. Would you still have a bank account? Great question, Chris. Absolutely. So nothing changes there. And with with your gold and silver card or account, um, you would still you would still have an account. So it's very much like the experience you have today, uh, except the money is now sound. But aren't the banks all prepared to go to the central bank digital currency? And how does this? Great, how, great question. How does this? How is? How does this play with that scenario? Great question, Chris. So I want to go back to what we had people jot down a little while ago, Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. So the big banks are certainly prepared to do this. And as you can probably imagine, they are the biggest haters of this idea in its entirety, right? Because it it goes directly against what they ultimately want to do. Here's the good news. If states open their own depositories and do these things the right way, it doesn't matter what the big banks do, which is why they hate it. And ultimately, they'll try to litigate it. But the good news is that we've got case law, Supreme Court case law, that actually codifies Article One, Section 10 of the Constitution. So the short version is, try as they may, as long as the states do what they need to do and legislators come together and do the right thing for the people here in Florida and in other states, there really isn't a lot the big banks can do. Okay. Uh, I take it that until the legislator acts, you can't really do anything to prepare for this. Correct. So here's what we wanted for people, Chris, is we wanted them to be aware of what's going on and that this is available. What I would encourage people to do is check out the work that Kevin Freeman has done. If they go to the economicwarroom.com or they can go to wearethewatchman.org or any of our sites, we link to all of Kevin's stuff. I would strongly encourage people to watch his episodes on the Texas transactional currency because he goes into great detail about exactly how this works and what people can do as they're waiting for legislators to move things like this through the process. Yeah, and, you know, uh, talking about the major banks, too, uh, what's going on right now, you know, we've got all of this government spending, and, and the Fed's telling us, well, we're reducing the size of our balance sheet, which is true, but at the same time, the Federal Reserve is juicing the economy to the tune of $700 million a day that they're losing to the big banks in form of what are called reverse repos, which is basically what happens is the banks buy the money from the Federal Reserve and pay it back. And normally, in normal times, the Federal Reserve would turn a profit on those operations. Those are repos. Now, the reverse repos, now they're losing money to the banks and juicing the economy to the tune of $700 million a day. And and that with our energy policy and the disasters of the energy policy around the world, and you've even seen the Biden administration recently release sanctions against Venezuela, of all people, this is what's keeping inflation burning. So the gold standard, the Federal Reserve has failed us in this way. So perhaps gold is the way to go. And in doing all of this, the banks are actually weakening themselves because of the everything being upside down, in essence. But you know, go ahead, R.C. No, you guys, you're, you're both right. Pierce, you bring up a great point about the government kind of playing this shell game, which we've talked about in months past when we've been on the show. 
you know, when people ask us our thoughts on the Fed, I'm like, well, they just make it up as they go along. I mean, they had to to create something basically out of thin air to stop a worldwide banking implosion after Silicon Valley Bank when they couldn't sell it to anybody, right? So now you get this far down the road, they're finally being exposed, right? So now we're getting to that point where we kind of come up on the end of the ramp before you go over the cliff, and they can't hide anymore. So they're just doing whatever they can to try to hang on as long as they can so people don't go into a full-blown panic. Like we talked about before, the FDIC limits, which, by the way, you've seen banks try to increase these to make people feel more comfortable, the same logic still applies. If the banking system were to collapse and all of us were to run on the banks at the same time right now, the, the FDIC could only handle about 1.3% of covering 1.3% of all the deposits. So they're going to be a lot of people out of luck. And I guess the, the good news, and by God's grace in all of this, is we have an option like this one that's coming down the pipe, not just in Florida, but other states, so that the states, again, can take their rightful place because states' rights in the Constitution, that was specifically designed. It's almost like the founders could see ahead. They knew moments like this were going to come, and they, they wanted the states to be in a position to rein in the federal government. Well, guess what, states? You now have your chance. Okay. Um, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about this as the legislative session approaches and and takes uh, takes up uh, the business of running the state next month. Or, no, I'm sorry, next year. Uh, by the way, you also had a story on We Are the Watchmen, uh, your We Are the Watchmen Weekly, about uh, the uh, West Bank and Israel uh, being a potential weak spot for the Israeli army. You want to explain what that article's about? Yeah, Chris. While we were in Tallahassee, um, we were on a call with the group from Operation Itai. So, so their goal in Israel is to make sure that supplies are in place in emergencies. So we were invited to this call, and, and I have to tell you, it was very disturbing to learn that there are a half million Israeli Jews who are in danger in settlements in the West Bank. And as we were on that call on Tuesday afternoon, I tell you, Chris, probably about two hours after we published that article, the news story started coming about Hamas cells kind of steamrolling uh, uh, into these these camps in the West Bank where these Israeli Jews, these Israeli Jews are. Uh, it is incredibly dangerous. And, and while the, the situation in its totality is bad, if you look at a map, and we shared this in the article, if you look at a map of the West Bank and where these settlements are, these people are, are basically sitting ducks. Uh, and it's, it's something that I don't know has been given enough attention, but it's a very dangerous situation. It needs to be addressed. So when, when we got wind of that, we made the decision to run the piece so that people understood what was going on and what groups like Operation Itai uh, were, were actually trying to do to help people. And I think that in, in some ways you see Americans, whether they live here or they're in Israel, uh, making an effort. I mean, I think everyone by now has heard about the great work that Corey Mills has done to get Americans out. Uh, you've got groups that are trying to do the right thing, and as publishers, 
when we were on this call and we heard this, the first thing we asked is, how soon can we run with this story? Uh, because as publishers and as believers, we have a responsibility as watchmen to make sure that people are aware of what's happening. Okay, that's wearethewatchmen.org. Just spell it all out like it's you normally would. Wearethewatchmen.org. And that uh, Sherlock Exposes, what, what's the site for Sherlock Exposes? And you spell Sherlock without the C. Or is it without, without the K? Without the K. Sure, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sherlock yeah, no with, with the C without the K. Uh, Sherlock exposes is that dot com dot org. That's dot com. So okay. Sherlock exposes dot com. And we are the Watchmen dot org. And you can subscribe to that weekly right there as well. All right. Uh, great work, RC. You and Juliana really are uh, pulling in the great information for us. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for having us on. God bless everyone, and, and have a great week. Hey, by the way, before you go, uh, yes. we got to talk a minute about uh, Mike Skubiak, because uh, yes. Mike uh, passed away, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this past Monday, and he was a, a great uh, American patriot. He was uh, the head of the local chapter of Act for America, and a lot of he did a lot of other great stuff, uh, R.C., he did. You know, Mike Mike had become such a good friend to Julian and I over the last couple of years. Uh, anyone that knew him knew that he had such an open, welcoming heart. And his fighting for America, he knew what was happening. He had been through so much in his life. Mike lived into his 90s. Um, he knew what was coming, and he knew there needed to be a call to action. He did everything he could. Uh, uh, to make that happen. But, you know, guys like that are rare. There are a couple of them that, that we all know. Um, it, it's, it's a loss that's, that's difficult. Uh, I just look at it in the sense that it was a blessing to get to know him and in some way to carry on the mantle uh, that he helped to build. Yeah. Uh, I met a number of people who are still a part of the show, thanks to Mike. And uh, he always had a big smile and encouraging word for me. He loved the show, and he loved us, yeah. and we loved to see him. And occasionally he would come and have dinner with us and stuff. And uh, just sad news uh, that we're going to be, you know, separated from another great warrior. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks. We appreciate you, RC, and we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Everybody be blessed. All right, wearethewatchmen.org and SherlockExposes.com. Sherlock spelled without the K. Later, Pierce Outlaw and I spoke with Patrick Magaro of Undoing Time magazine about the plea deal Sidney Powell accepted, the antics going on in the New York civil case against Donald Trump, as well as the antics in the D.C. criminal case against him. And let's go right to our man with, uh, with the legal expertise. He is the publisher of Undoing Time magazine. I'm talking about Patrick Magaro. Patrick, how are you doing this evening? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on, uh, Adversaries. And I wanted to acknowledge that we are joined by a bunch of new listeners. Okay. We have, from New York, James, who is a good friend of mine and a Mason brother, one of the best investment advisors you got out there. We've got Scott from North Carolina. We've got Jack Palmieri, who's one of the best criminal defense lawyers in South Florida. And right here in Orlando, we have lovely Joy joined by her mom, Dawn. And most importantly, we have my mom, Clarinda, who's joining us all the way from Longwood. Wow. Well, thank all of you. We certainly do appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate Patrick. He does such a great job sorting this stuff out for us. 
So where should we start? Let's let's go from north to south, I guess. Let's start in New York City and Judge Engeron's court where he threatened to put Donald Trump in jail. Is that right, Patrick? He threatened to do it in orally, and he's done it in writing. He issued an order today, not exactly finding Trump in contempt, but finding him for leaving a post on Truth Social for the last 17 days. I want to point out that the judge issued a gag order in the civil trial in New York City prohibiting Donald Trump from making certain comments about court staff. Uh, despite, you know, the existence of something called the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. Just a little thing. Yeah. And, yeah, just a little thing, you know, yeah. freedom of speech, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that people have died for, but, but I digress. Um, this, the way that it came to the court's attention is a left-wing rag of a publication basically searched Donald Trump's profiles online and brought this to the court's attention. Otherwise, it would have never gone anywhere on the radar and then the court immediately issued an order fining Donald Trump $5,000, threatening to throw him in jail if he posts anything else or leaves anything else up in the future. Unbelievable. They just won't leave this guy alone. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but he can't be responsible for other people who have had taken that and are now posting it on their own. Uh, can he be? That was exactly what the defense was. And or that's exactly what the defense lawyers were saying. And the judge is saying, no, I'm going to hold them responsible for his campaign. Uh, Even if they're putting it up on a campaign set, I'm going to hold them responsible. Why? Because the judge can. And I will point out also that that order, that gag order is currently under appeal. But until and unless the New York Appellate Division, which is the appeals court in New York, reverses that, it stays in place and it's in full force and effect. And now this is on the heels of, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I guess a, a witness that the prosecution had called this week and it didn't go so well for the prosecution. Is is that correct? That's correct. The case is not going as well for the prosecution as they wanted it to. You know, they, they have they have issues with uh, witness credibility. They're going to have some issues connecting the dots, trying to prove these allegations against Donald Trump. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the judge is going to do a lot of the heavy lifting for Letitia James. But uh, I guess that's another story, and we'll, get, we'll see what happens once uh, once that final decision rolls around. So the way I understood it is that a real estate appraiser took the stand and perjured himself, and the Trump defense team produced emails from the real estate appraiser that contradicted what he said, and the judge let it stand. That's correct, and and basically, um, he, here's here's where the uh, the perversion of justice comes in. Uh, when a person gets on the witness stand and just completely lies their behind off, the law currently says that uh, even when you can produce documents that they're lying, it's always up to the finder of fact, whether that be the judge or the jury, whether that person's telling the truth or not. Oh. And the judge or the jury, in this case, the judge who is very, in my mind, very, very clearly predisposed against Donald Trump is going to credit whatever parts they want to cherry pick out of that testimony and then disregard little things like, oh, perjury and complete lies and falsehoods. 
So he's and, and it's all to get to a particular desired result. So Ingron is literally the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to this case. Uh, quite literally, and I'm going to call him Judge Einhorn. You know, from the Ace Ventura uh, pet detective, Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. You know, this this reminds me, you know, of the old cowboy westerns and what you would hear in the early uh, 1900s in the southern United States where you go in front of the judge and the judge would say, boy, I am the law in these parts. Yeah. Yeah, and then they'd take you right out in the front of the front yard of the courthouse and hang you right then and there. And uh, they would love to do that. Uh, they would love to bring back the death penalty in New York if they could uh, execute Donald Trump on it, I guarantee you. Uh, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Now, Trump was back in court. Was, had the judge demanded that he be there, or just did he happen to be there when this uh, order against him came out? No, in a civil case, he doesn't have to be there. He, he wanted to be there. Um, and there are certain points of, uh, you know, I can tell you from my days of practicing law, there are certain points of time where you definitely want your client there. And there are other points of time when you definitely do not want your client there. Okay. Um, th- th- this is one of those times, uh, you know, when, when there's certain key witnesses testifying, you want to have your client next to you so they can give you the inside scoop and help you react very quickly in real time to what that witness is saying. Evidently, uh, Trump did react real time. Was it yesterday or the day before? I guess he got pretty animated about one of the witnesses' testimony, and I guess the judge had to tell him to quiet down. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he was ma- he was having some reaction, um, which, you know, I-, I can understand why somebody would get upset right. if they're sitting in a courtroom in the United States of America and someone is blatantly perjuring themselves against you. I can understand that completely. I can understand having that reaction. But uh, the judge basically said, uh, you know, everyone just, you know, remind, I'm remind- reminding everyone, calm down. This is the court of law. This is not the place for outbursts because it was Letitia James's team that was, oh, he's making faces over there, like, you know, this is a second grade or something. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move down the coast to Washington, D.C. Uh, early this week, Judge Chutkin issued, who issued her own gag order against Trump. It, it looked pretty similar to the one that he's got on him in New York. Is that right? Yeah, you, you would almost think that these people are coordinating an attack against No, they wouldn't. Patrick, coast, right? they wouldn't do that. Come on. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely <laughs> right. not. There's no such thing as conspiracies. I know, right, I know. Right. So what about Judge uh, Chutkin's order? And is this going to be one of those interlocutory appeal things? Yes, uh, this is an, another gag order. There's, uh, there, His lawyers are going to take it up to the, uh, you know, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which unfortunately does not have a Trump friend on it, uh, potentially to the United States Supreme Court because of this, you know, little itty-bitty thing called the First Amendment. Well, now, when I read the order, it it, it wasn't just Trump. The, the gag order is against uh, his lawyers and uh, people in his campaign. Did, did I misread that? And no, I, you're correct. Anyone... And- reasonably connected to him and can speak, is authorized to speak on his behalf, is subject to this order. So it's actually pretty broad. And keep in mind, you know, Donald Trump is running a national campaign. This is a federal court. This order is enforceable everywhere in the nation and enforceable out, not just in court, but outside of court. It is going to impact, and what, what his lawyers have been arguing and complaining about, is this is going to impact his ability to effectively run a campaign, 
which, regardless of what anybody wants to say, cannot be argued that he does not have a First Amendment right to run a campaign. Well, it's like he keeps saying, this is this is election interference at the end of the day. That's the, what all these things are. I mean, what's, if you think back to every totalitarian regime in history, what's the first thing you do? You silence the opposition. Yeah. And now... I, I obviously then this, this is in place it's it's effective until or unless the appeals court uh puts an injunction against it i take it right exactly unless they reverse that injunction right okay um and how high up the ladder can he take that appeal let's say if the appeals court rules against him can he go higher than that or is that the end of the trail no he actually can go to the u.s supreme court the supreme court does have jurisdiction to hear immediate interlocutory appeals on gag orders and temporary injunctions. And if that winds up going to the Supreme Court and it takes the Supreme Court time to review that, can a trial take place? Because they're trying to make this happen on March the 4th, right in time for the spring primaries. Would that delay the trial or do they uh, run independent of one another? They, they would be running independent of one another, and if I were uh, talking to Trump's legal team, I would say you guys got to shake your tail feathers and get your butts in gear because uh, – and they're going to try to draw this out. We know this. The federal D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to sit on this as long as they can because they're going to make him sweat. So what you need to do is you need to move as quickly as humanly possible and push this as fast as you can. So you don't, you know, the other side doesn't run out the clock. Okay. The, uh, the so what else, did she make any other rulings uh, that affecting uh, that case at this point? Not at this point. Um, there, remember, there's motions to invade his attorney-client privilege are right. still out there. Right. And the other motion to basically uh, have him tried by an anonymous jury and prevent him from, you know, finding things like biases and jurors right. against him. Right. Uh, that's still pending out there. We, we, they got to wait on that. So, uh, are they going to? Are there still going to be arguments, or is it now just up to her to make the decision on those issues? Pro- I, I imagine she's going to call the lawyers in for argument because they, these are pretty momentous, uh, pretty momentous decisions. <laughs> no doubt, uh, all of them are. Okay, uh, let's uh, move on to Atlanta, where Sidney Powell has taken a, a pretty sweet deal, it appears to be anyway. They dropped all seven of the felony counts and replaced them with a handful of misdemeanor charges. What do you think? Yeah, and Cheeseboro, again, today uh, is now the second guy uh, to, or the th- third defendant to plead guilty, but he's the first one to take a felony plea. Um, However, if you look at what the plea agreements are, how they're structured, we have misdemeanors going to the first one who pled the bail bondsman. We have six misdemeanors to Sidney Powell and a relatively low-level felony to Cheeseboro, uh, which I'll call Cheese-It. Right. um, Because that's what he is. Uh, But the RICO charge, no one is is taking a beating on a RICO charge, and that's really the main course in that indictment. Uh, that tells you a couple of things. Number one, uh, maybe that charge is not all that strong because why would you give up the farm after going through all that trouble? Number two, it's possible that those uh, three individuals have agreed to turn state's evidence, which they, they obviously have, but maybe um, 
they're providing just intel to the prosecution, and the prosecution values that intel a lot more than they do any you know conviction on that top charge. Um, and there's there's a whole other thing, a whole bunch of other things at play here. But uh, when you see lawyers pleading guilty early on, that's usually not a very good sign. Patrick, it looks like to me that Fannie Willis overcharged these cases with the felonies and knows that she doesn't want them going to court because she would lose. And as far as them turning state evidence, am I correct to assume that because this surrounded a sitting president and it was so widely covered in the media and it was a PR campaign that there really isn't anything going on behind the scenes that we didn't already know. So somebody saying that they'll cooperate with testimony is really just an empty promise because there's nothing hidden. It could be an empty promise. Um, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes because the you know, the lawyers are going to be very tight-lipped about that because you don't want to jeopardize your client's deal. But at the same time, you have to consider why are they giving away the farm this early on? Um, you know, and, and that could very well be that this, is, this was and always was overcharged from the get-go, and they're concerned that going to trial with somebody and getting a loss early on would negatively impact their ability to maintain that prosecution against the rest of the defendants, including the main course, who is Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, you know, acquittals don't look good if they start to pile up, even mixed verdicts, you know, with those partial acquittals. That doesn't look good. Well, the- and they don't want to build a paper trail for Donald Trump's lawyers to follow and use that to their advantage you know, in the defense, you yeah. know, from other trials. Yeah, I mean, phony Fanny Willis wanted these, you know, she said, okay, you want an early trial, we'll give you an early trial. But then, of course, if the, the cases did go to trial, did go to court, they, the def- defense, as you say, would see the hand of the prosecution. So they were motivated not to go to trial. And Absolutely. Yeah. They don't want to show their hand. They don't want yeah. to show their whole card. Right. Exactly. All right. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in a week or so as <laughs> all this stuff plays out. Uh, you're a tremendous what, help. What mischief can these people cook up in the next seven days? Uh, yeah. Only well, time will tell. Only time will tell. How can people subscribe to Undoing Time magazine? Oh, the website, is. we took it down to uh, very quickly to, uh, to do some um, some construction on it to make it bigger and better. But you're going to go to undoingtime.org. I'll have that up and running next week, and you can subscribe to our newsletter. You get the latest and greatest in all developments of criminal law, criminal justice, and noteworthy cases. All right. Well, to Dan, Scott, Jack, Joya, Don, and what's your mom's name? Clorinda. Corinda. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Patrick. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. You do the same.